My name is Rachel Del Judas, and you are listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. is kind of goes right on the tail of what Sean mentioned. He said, we're countering culture. Did you notice that? We're countering culture. We're not encountering culture. We are countering it. In other words, there is much about our job as conservatives, and I'm speaking personally as a Christian, that is standing against what most people in the world are standing for. And it never gets easy. Yesterday, I was visiting with one of my other students who actually is one of my graduates who works in the White House. And she said, you would not believe the hate mail that we get. And she described some of the things that, that, were, that were said and some of the packages with mutilated dolls and things like that that have been sent to them. It's absolutely stunning and horrible. And I realized she experiences this at a high level, but we all will experience it at a certain level. That what we stand for is what most of the world stands against, and what we stand against is what most of the world stands for. So how do we learn to discern, first of all, the bad ideas that are around us, and second of all, what strategy do we use to when we encounter other people? So, you know, give me a thumbs up if you have ever been in a place on social media or in person where somebody tried to shame you because of something that you said or believed. Yeah, look at all those thumbs. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're well over half the group here, it looks like who've had, actually had that personal experience. I wanna tell you a little of my story. I'll just give a brief testimony and, and then I'll share some of the key points about what we can do. This is a picture of the city where I was born. <laughs> and that's what it looked like when I was a little kid. It's Detroit, Michigan. It was in a horrible state. There were riots, dozens of people were killed. Thousands ended up going to the hospital. Thousands of buildings were destroyed. Detroit in many ways has never recovered. When I was almost 10 years of age, my parents said, we have got to get out of here. This is crazy. Like there was a drug dealer who tried to sell drugs to little kids. I was standing on the street corner outside of our elementary school when I was in third grade. So it's just, this is a horrible environment. <clears throat> my parents moved us back to their roots, which is Kansas and Oklahoma. So we moved from Detroit, Michigan to Great Bend, Kansas. We will move from a town of 1.7 million people to a town of 17,000 people. And we moved from a church of 2,000 people to a church that was so small that my family, my parents and, and my brother and me, you know, we increased attendance by 20% just by walking in the door of the church. And it was fascinating to me. I would loved living in a smaller town. It felt a lot safer. The people were a lot friendlier, but I wasn't getting answers to a lot of the big questions I had in life. And so when I ready to graduate from high school, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not only going to graduate from high school, I'm going to graduate from church at the same time. I'm going to walk away from this stuff. I, I'm really done with God. I'm done with church. 
But my parents arranged for me to attend a program in Colorado held in this antique hotel called the Grand View Hotel. It's, it, the program was called Summit Ministries. I walked into the lobby of the Summit Ministries Hotel and there was the founder of the ministry, Dr. David Noble. I was 17 years of age at the time. I walked right up to him and I said, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. What a rude 17 year old I was. I hope that none of you take that approach to the interactions that you have with adults. But he was very gracious. He didn't say to me, look kid, you know, just sit in class and just listen and learn. Don't be cocky. He didn't even say, look kid, we have all of the answers. What he said was, at Summit, we aren't afraid of the questions. We aren't afraid of questions. That's what I needed to know. Little did I understand the power that questions would have in my own life from that point forward. But in a strange sort of way, it affirmed my faith and helped me grow in my faith to understand that God wants us to be inquisitive people. He wants us to be curious. He wants us to look, he wants us to ask questions and then look seriously for answers. And you think about, I mean, I just took some pictures of things that I see around my town. You see this sort of thing probably where you live, that every Christmas in Colorado Springs, a, American, a group called American Atheists put up a billboard, just skip church, it's all fake news. Happy holidays from American atheists. I see television programs, all of these people, all these talking heads just screaming at one another. Just look at all those different facial expressions. There's a story behind every one of those facial expressions just captured right there. In my town, people express themselves through bumper stickers. I, our, our work is in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is a little hippie town tucked right at the foot of Pikes Peak. Beautiful little place, but very, very hippie. People express themselves through bumper stickers. But when, when people put a bumper sticker on their car, they don't, it's sort of like posting a social media meme. It's not that you're inviting conversation, it's that you're trying to end the conversation. Nobody who puts a bumper sticker on their car is expecting someone to pull them over to the side of the road and have a fascinating 15 minute dialogue about the ideas being expressed. No, they're trying to put that bumper sticker on there to say all thought ceases because this is the clincher, this is the knockout punch, this is the thing that will win the argument for sure. And so everybody seems to be looking for that. In social media, it's that you know, mic drop moment that everybody's looking for, where no, nobody can uh, possibly refute this because I have just said the most brilliant thing that could possibly be said. What we're finding in our work at Summit is that people aren't persuaded by that at all that if you really want to change hearts and minds, you can't do it through shame. If you shame somebody into believing something, they will stop talking to you, but that doesn't mean they're persuaded. There's an old saying you need to keep in your mind. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. We have got to find a different way to identify the bad ideas and to know how to refute them. Here is the key word. The key word is patterns. Patterns. Patterns are the key to success in every area of life. If you were to talk to Sean about his football career, he will tell you that being, being able to identify his opponent's patterns of play was key to his success. If you were a middle school football player, you would never be able to identify those patterns. They're far too subtle. They're far too professional. 
But by the time you get to that level and you've played thousands of hours of football and practiced thousands of hours, you can identify what is going on. The same is true in tennis. Weird studies. One study showed that the average hit in a professional tennis match, I mean, just the ball going back and forth over the net, the ball is moving so fast that it is physiologically impossible for a person to return. The only way for you to return the ball is for you to hit the ball back before your brain realizes that the ball has arrived. And yet, you watch a professional tennis match and they hit the ball back and forth all of the time. They're doing something impossible. But how do they do it? It's because they identify the patterns of these key ideas. I believe that a, the Bible gives us these patterns for life. I remember hearing when I was a younger man, 1 Chronicles 12.32. It, it gives praise to the tribe of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Look at that. We want to have, be people who have an understanding of the times to know what America ought to do. I believe that Jesus is my savior. But I also believe that Jesus gives me a framework for understanding all of reality, that I can go off to my classes and Jesus has something to say about everything we talk about. Now, I may not know what it is. I may not know how to articulate it. I may have to really dig deep and study and learn, but there is something there. All right, let me give you an illustration about patterns. When you look at the picture that is on the screen, what is the first impression that you get? You don't have to say it aloud but you just, what's the very first thing you see? Now, if, if you, the very first thing you see there is a frog, can you just give me a thumbs up real quick? Just give me that thumbs up. You see a frog there, right? Okay. Yeah, most people see a frog. Could I persuade you that it is a horse? You say, no, I don't think you could persuade me that it's a horse. It's clearly a frog but I want you to tilt your head to the right and imagine that what you thought was the frog's eye is actually the nostril of the horse. What you thought was the frog's haunches is actually the eye of the horse. And what you thought was the current going downstream is the mane of the horse. Can you see it? So what is it? Is it a frog or is it a horse? See, the thing about patterns is that once you recognize that this is an optical illusion that is both a frog and a horse at the same time, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Does that make sense? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. You will always, forever and ever, when somebody shows you this picture, you will see both the frog and the horse because now you're tuned in to the pattern that is part of the optical illusion. Ideas flow in patterns too. That's the point I wanted to get to. There are many, many illustrations that I could give you from history. This one is quite startling. In the aftermath of World War II, in about 1948, the Korean Peninsula split into two parts. The part of the Korean Peninsula that we now call North Korea, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, is a communist country. It decided to go the pathway of Marxism and atheism. South Korea decided to go the pathway of Christianity. This is not to say that most people in South Korea are Christians, but it is to say that the Christians in South Africa exert an enormous amount of influence. 
and they are very, very hearty and persistent. They have a lot of grit. I've been in South Korea several times, and on each trip, it is amazing to me how many people will get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock every morning to pray for hours before they go to work. They're very, very serious about their faith. So North Korea went toward atheistic Marxism. South Korea went toward Christianity. One of the things you will learn if you ever participate in one of our Summit Ministries programs is that ideas have consequences. And you can see these consequences literally from outer space. I'm going to show you a picture of the Korean Peninsula at night from outer space. Look at that. There's South Korea, all well-lit and prosperous. There is North Korea, almost literally in the dark ages. Same people, same language, same agricultural opportunities, same everything. But the consequences of atheistic Marxism destroyed and kept a nation in subservience, where people live in fear, and millions have died due to starvation, where South Korea is extraordinarily prosperous. The average South Korean makes 20 times the annual salary of the average North Korean. And these people are essentially related. They go back. I mean, if they can trace their lineage back before the 1940s, these are their cousins. They are the same people group, same intelligence, same everything, bad worldview. So ideas flow in patterns. Bad ideas result in bad patterns, and good ideas result in good patterns. Does this make sense so far? All right. So here's the term I wanted to give you, and then I'll, I'll just mention this briefly, talk about it briefly, and give you some things to think about. The term is worldview. I refer to a worldview as a pattern of ideas and beliefs, convictions, and habits. Why? Because ideas lead you to believe certain things. Strong beliefs are called convictions. Habits are the things you do, how you live based on those convictions. So a pattern it helps us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. At Summit Ministries, we teach students that there are essentially six different worldviews that are competing for their attention. There are, of course, more worldviews, more patterns of ideas than just six. Some of them are kind of silly. A few years ago in Great Britain, people got to send in to the government what religion they were. What religion are you? That was part of their census. It was one of the census questions. And British people, Americans don't usually respond to questions like that. They, they say to the government, it's none of your business. They just throw the survey in the trash. Other people, they dutifully do whatever the government tells them to do. In Great Britain, they try to trick the government. So they say, when the government asks you what religion you are, write in this. So 120-some thousand people, turns out, wrote in Jedi. They said, that is my religion. I am Jedi. 8,000 people said, I worship heavy metal music. But, but anyway, there are lots of patterns of ideas. We choose these six because when you're looking for patterns, you don't have to understand every single thing. These six ideas account for about 95% of the intellectual and public policy battles that we face in this country at this time. So we have Christianity, of course. I've already explained to you that I believe that Christianity is a worldview, that it helps us, it gives us a rational, intelligent perspective in key areas of life. But Islam is also growing in influence. Islam says that there is a God, but that you only know God by his law. You follow his law. You don't know God personally. He does not love you. You are not his son or daughter. You are his slave. You just obey. 
Secularism says God belief is the problem with the world. That God is either irrelevant to what's really important or he is bad. Then you have Marxism as a worldview. Marxism says only the material world exists. There's only so much to go around. And so if every person is equally valuable, then we should share it all equally. So if you have more than another person, it's because you stole it. And you need to have that redistributed so that everybody can have their fair share, right? Adam's taught you about this in the Forge program. I'm almost positive about that. Another, another worldview that is deeply influential in the world in which we live today is what I call new spirituality. New spirituality is a belief that wor the world does not exist. It is an illusion. The material world is an illusion. Everything is actually spirit. If you ever saw the Marvel movie, Dr. Strange, you saw the new spiritualist worldview on display. And then the final worldview is postmodernism. Postmodernists are skeptical of all of the others. They say, we doubt that anybody really knows the truth. And if anybody says they know the truth, then it's just going to result in mayhem and death. It's a real problem. If we just all quit believing that we know the truth, then the world will be better off. I'd love to know what of those six worldviews. Uh, I'd like I look at Christianity as the true worldview, and I look at these other five: Islam, secularism, Marxism, New Spirituality, and postmodernism, <clears throat> as what I call counterfeit worldviews. They have some of the truth, but they use that truth in the service of an overall lie. So, do I should I just try to understand the patterns of a Christian worldview? And here's what I realized. No, I need to understand what other people believe. I need to understand the patterns of other ideas. If I could have two hours with you, we could go through these in detail, and I would make you a promise that you will never again read a social media post in the same way. You will never again listen to a song in the same way, watch a movie in the same way, or read a news item in the same way. Because you will realize that every single thing people say who aren't believers, represents one of these five worldviews. Whenever anybody says, I think <clears throat> the rich should give more of their fair share, then they're coming from, they may not be Marxist, they're probably not communist, but they absolutely are operating from the patterns of a Marxist worldview. When anybody says, we are all one, we should all just get along, right? Or the Star Wars kind of thing, there's the light side of the force, the dark side of the Whenever people say things like that, they are representing a new spiritualist worldview. When anybody says, look, why would you pay attention to the Bible? That is an ancient book that is irrelevant to what is really going on. And they represent a secularist worldview. If somebody, I've actually had a number of Christians get tricked by this. We did a study of Christian young adults and we asked them a question from Islam. And the question was, the problem of society today is that people do not obey God and they should be forced to do so. And more than half of Christian young adults said, yes, that's my worldview. We should make them do it. We should force people into obedience. And that, of course, is an Islamic view of God, not a Christian view of God. But does that make sense? You can see these different worldviews and how they influence. So I want you to Google while you're, you can do this right now. It's okay with me. You can Google Summit Worldview Chart. Just Google Summit Worldview Chart. And then you'll see, of course, some pictures pop up there. 
And the, but the first entry should be Summit Ministries Worldview Chart. You see that? You can nod if you see it. Uh, Summit Ministries Worldview Chart. If you open it, it's a little booklet. And if you, if you click on it, it's kind of a bluish green color. If you click on it and it opens, then you see a little introduction from me. Then you turn to the next page and you see a chart where these six worldviews, Christianity, Islam, secularism, Marxism, new spirituality, and postmodernism are compared in 10 key areas of life. Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, politics, law, economics, and history. And those 10 areas, you can examine the differences between these worldviews. So if you're wondering, I hear an economics idea and I'm not sure if it's really a Christian idea, you could look on this chart. And if you say, well, the term that is on that chart is not one I'm familiar with, then you just flip a few pages further back and there are definitions for each one of those key terms. That is a tool that I hope that you will find useful in identifying the source of bad ideas that you come up against. But what do you do differently? Let me just share briefly with you. At Summit Ministries, I want my students to be curious. Five conversation-altering words. Tell me more about that. One of your friends says, I have, you know, I, I believe that the government should provide health care to all. I believe the government should pay everybody's college tuition. And you want to say, no, that's terrible. It's a terrible idea. Let me give you an article to read. But first, just ask, tell me more about that. And then you can follow up with questions like these. What do you mean by that? What do you mean healthcare for all? Actually, what do you mean by healthcare? Because for some people, healthcare means complete coverage from cradle to grave. For other people, it just means free doctor's visits. You know, what exactly do you mean by that? How did you arrive at that conclusion? You think that's the whole story is a question I ask when I'm being challenged. When a professor says, only, you know, only idiots would believe that the Bible is true. Well, you, do you think that's the whole story? Because I think I know quite a few people who are actually pretty intelligent and believe the Bible is true. It seems to go against your theory. How do you know that is true is a key question. What happens if you are wrong? So just by starting with those five conversation-altering words, tell me more about that, you invite conversation rather than shut it down. And you say, well, why would we do that? Because let's leave it up to the leftists to shut all the conversations down. That's what happens when you go to college. Your leftist professor will, if you have any disagreement, your viewpoint will ultimately be shut down. We do not want to be known as people who shut down the conversation. We want to be known as people who invite the conversation. So tell me more about that. And then start asking these probing questions to dig into what the other person says. Very often, you'll see the flaws in their argument. Just because by asking these kinds of questions, you can begin to see the patterns of ideas that they're operating from. I'll close with this. I, at the end of the day, I believe, as C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I want you to come study with us at Summit Ministries. And because some of our in-person programs are still on for this summer, but they're sold out. Other programs are having to be postponed because of coronavirus regulations. And we're kind of past that part of it. But a lot of parents, you know, they vote with their dollars and they're a little reluctant. So we started something called Summit Virtual, which is a live, interactive, 
five-day course of study in worldview and apologetics where you get to personally meet with and ask questions of world-class Christian thought leaders, best-selling authors. Um, you know, we have celebrity guest appearances and things like that. It's very interactive. It's all live. And you'll have discussion groups and, and be able to really engage over the course of the week. If you go to summit.org slash virtual, you can find out more information about that. Summit.org slash virtual. And if you do join it for this summer, cost is about $500, but you can attend and earn up to three college credits for free. At the college where those come from, that's $1,875 in value. So if you're worrying that you're going to be bored this summer, armor up. Don't sit around. Get ready to take a stand for what you believe and then earn some college credits while you're doing that. You will feel a lot better about yourself and you'll actually be able to go into the fall in a little bit stronger of a position. Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you like the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all of our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.